Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember as well as a show on air with RTE and online via the website or your own favourite podcasting app, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every single day with hourly updates and daily newsletters which you can grab for free on our website techcentral.ie Later on the show today we're going to be talking to the Managing Director of HP Ireland. Very, very interesting conversation. But first, Niall Kitson joins me. Uh, we have been watching the Facebook debate and uh, or I should say the Congress sessions with bated breath. Well, one of us has. <laughs> <laughs> and the other got tired after five minutes. Well, I, you know, I just saw them, the whole opening and the dramatic uh, entrance of Mark Zuckerberg and all the photographers and then them all being cleared away and then the chairman of the uh, Inquiry Committee making his announcement saying there's 44 of us, we'll have five minutes of questions each. And I went, ah, oh, here... <laughs> Yeah, what, what what a sham, really. I mean, how how do you expect to grill someone appropriately with, with five minutes each? And it's ridiculous. And the quality of some of the questioning was abysmal. I mean, did did you hear what some of the some of the questions he was asked? I've just read it. I, I literally turned it off uh, at that point and I said, you might be able to bring us up to date. Give me give me one of the worst questions that was asked. Yeah. Uh, how do you make money? Oh, no. Yeah. Somebody actually asked him, how do you, you know, Something like this, you want him to be taken to task. You want people that have done their homework. You want people that will ask the, the good questions, the hard questions. And you get nonsense like that. You but know, the work of the good money? questions that did impress you. Uh, well, kind of. I mean, uh, Zuckerberg sort of, he started off with a mea culpa. So he, he was ready to deflect pretty much straight away. And any questions that he wasn't fully briefed on, he just said, I'll get my team to get back to you on that. Mm. So there was very little that he couldn't handle. Um, <laughs> there was one really good question by uh, Senator Dick Durbin, who uh, he's from uh, Illinois. That's where it is. And um, first thing he said was, uh, would you be comfortable telling us the name of the hotel you stayed in last night? What? Okay. Yeah. Oh, th- th- obviously a leading question. Well, no, a very simple yes or no answer. And do you know what the answer was? What? No. No, he would not. He would not do a check-in. He would not post a status update saying that's where he was. He would not do a personal blog post saying that's where he was. No, he valued his privacy. Aha. So it was a leading question. <laughs> it was. It, it was. It was, you know. A question sort making of a point. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the answer was irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I get it. Any, any other good uh, highlights? Uh, yes, uh, came at the very end from Senator John Kenny, uh, John Kennedy of uh, Louisiana, summing up the entire Facebook experience for the, for those who know what's going on and for those who don't. Um, did you did you hear what he said? No, I didn't. Go on, tell me. Your terms of service suck. Oh, <laughs> that's fairly blunt. Do you know what? I actually really like you should get into the whole political process. I, I've been in Doyle Air many times and many of the committee uh, meeting hearings. They are very strong with their language at times, those politicians, because they're used to it. Mm. And politeness just kind of goes out the window. So, uh, so no, I'm not surprised that uh, John Kennedy uh, said that. Do you know who my hero of the day is? Okay, no, go on. I think I might surprise you when I say this. It's Mark Zuckerberg himself. 
Okay, right. Did you appreciate his robotic performance? What I appreciated was the fact was, was this massive worldwide calamitous thing is happening to his company. And he has stood up and he said, Facebook is my company. It's my fault. And I will take uh, responsibility for this and I will answer the questions. Yeah, okay. And yeah, I thought that, 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 that is a real leader there. Because he's mm. not trying to blow it off on, you know, the people in the company or the systems or the whatever he had. He went, all right, I'm Mr. Facebook. It, the, yeah. the book stops here. Like, you know, so I was quite happy with that. But listen, tell me about the, uh, I, I kind of want to, there, there were so many things that were discussed uh, during it. And there's been a lot of press and everything about it. But just for our podcast, what did you take away as the, uh, the top three headlines? Give me, give, give me what you got from the hearings regarding fake news and the whole Russian and foreign yeah, okay. influence. Right. There, there, there are a couple of main points and you've touched on them there. So we'll, we'll talk about the first one. Um, that's sort of the elephant in the room and ties together kind of everything. And that's mm. data privacy. Um, Facebook's attitude to data. We all know and hate it. Um, we also know that, uh, when it came to the Cambridge Analytica scandal, they said, okay, you can't have that data. Kindly delete it. And they said, yeah, sure. And didn't delete it because there was, you know, there, there, there was no, there was no punitive measure there. I mean, they were just taking it on faith that, um, CA would just delete that information. And of course they didn't, you know, it, it became their, their product, you know? Um, so Grant, he stood up and said, yeah, we should do better on that. We've got controls now. We've got better controls in place. He didn't say, he didn't quite, um, say GDPR standard, but, you know, that's roughly what he wants to deliver for people, but he doesn't want to call it GDPR. He doesn't, he wants to give himself that latitude that if he wants to change the standard, um, they still have to do it, uh, without actually committing to, to what we in Europe will, will have the benefit of. Um, of course, we all know that if you've, uh, had your data exposed, to Cambridge Analytica, it will you will get a warning now saying that um, your information was passed along. Mm. Um, so that will, will maybe park the data privacy end of things now because um, yes, that is a huge part of the debate. Facebook has said they they've introduced a lot of measures. Um, they they've introduced a lot of things with Facebook Pages as well, and very much the idea that uh, if you sign up to something, it's just you. You you don't get access to friend lists or anything like that that you can target or go. Maybe you might suggest joining to this group, uh, any of that kind of thing. You won't be seeing it so much anymore. Um, one thing that he did say. Really interesting uh, was he admitted that he was in an arms race with Russia when it came to fake news and foreign influence in elections. I mean, this is something that initially when fake news was exposed as being a something, he said, well, you know, that's not really a, a story. You know, people don't don't really, you know, it, it had no effect on anything. Uh, and of course, it's not so much that that has been shown not to be the case. But the sophistication of the Russian operation and the volume of fake news um, has made it you know, pretty much inescapable. The fact that this was allowed to happen in the first place and the fact that Facebook made money off it um, to completely contentious points. And, and really, it was good to see that you know, Zuckerberg was saying, was admitting now that is a massive problem that Facebook just wasn't conceived with this sort of usage in mind. Mm. Um, I said, look, yep, this is something we weren't good at. Uh, this is something we want to get better at. Um, and we're working on it. I think that's probably about as good an answer as you can get when you're dealing with a, a new phenomenon like fake news. Now, Zuckerberg said he'll have 20,000 people working on security and content management. Um, now, eh, I doubt it. 
uh, we all know how Facebook treats uh, people when it comes to content, uh, when it comes to either targeting or when it when it comes to their news team, um, and just this overall faith they have in the algorithm um, that whatever they have people doing now, ultimately they will be able to automate it and use an algorithm to sort it out. Of course, it was the algorithms that completely failed in spotting fake news. I think if if you had a, a news team on there that was able to recognize you know, websites with dodgy domains or, you know, news websites that weren't actually news websites, this sort of thing. Um, Do you you not think that you are asking the impossible? I mean, the the reason they have an algorithm there is because so much stuff is being uploaded. It's like YouTube. It's what did they say? 8,000 hours of video gets uploaded every minute or something to YouTube. I mean, it's almost impossible to regulate that without some kind of help from a a computer. And the same goes for Facebook. Yeah, but you're you're talking about paid advertisements here, though. You know, you're are looking at things that have actually been forked out there's no way you're getting a thousand advertisements a day a thousand political advertisements a day specifically targeting US voters I mean it's it's ridiculous it doesn't happen I mean bear in mind Facebook is a monopoly I mean they have no competition they set the rules if they say oh this is too hard I mean people have nowhere else to go Yes, I, and that's what I think is interesting uh, about this whole thing because everybody's saying, you know, kind of, oh, this is bad for Facebook and it's going to affect their share price. Could it be the end of for Facebook? But it's like, well, where else are people going to go? I, I think it'd be interesting the next year if we see somebody else popping their head up and going, the new social network, they won't call it a social network, they'll come up with some other name for it and then the word will just get around and people will migrate to that. I'll be interested to see if it does happen. But you're right, at the moment, there is no competition. I, the, the only alternative, and it's not the it's not the Facebook model where you share with everybody you've ever known, if you so wish, uh, that I much prefer is the closed networks, the, the WhatsApp groups, that sort of thing, um, where you only talk to people about specific things in specific groups. And I know for various reasons, WhatsApp groups have gotten a very bad press lately. Um, and you just have to accept that, yes, that does mm. happen and various unsavory things do happen. Um, but they happen on every platform. But personally, I'm a much bigger fan of having an enclosed WhatsApp group than sharing things on Facebook. Now, that's not to say it's impossible. I mean, I have my Facebook friends divided up into lists, but I don't think it's quite the same thing. Do your Facebook friends come to you and say, which list am I on, Niall? <laughs> no, they haven't. Because <laughs> you haven't told anybody there's lists. Am I on the, the A people- list? Am I on the B list? <laughs> Yeah. Well, the people that see my updates know they're on the list, you know, and and I'm not particularly troubled uh, if people by, don't. By how it all goes. Um, I, I think what's interesting about all of this is one of the comments that I read that Mark Zuckerberg uh, said was that he was hoping that with Facebook, Facebook would self-regulate itself regarding content. Well, that's a load of nonsense well, as well. It I, made me laugh, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody I mean, hopes anything self-regulates is just looking for trouble. Yeah, and it was only a couple of weeks ago he came out and said, yeah, Facebook needs laws. And somebody went, well, what kinds of laws? And he's like, Facebook needs laws. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so it was all a little bit vague. Did he have anything uh, or did he have much to say? But the, the third headline that I was uh, interested in is hate speech. Yeah, well, it, it very much comes uh, again into the, the content regulation. And one story that I came across the, the, the other day, actually, which I thought was fascinating, was uh, there was a, a fake Black Lives Matter uh, web page set up and it had 700,000 followers, which is actually more than the official Black Lives Matter um, Facebook page. And he was soliciting donations through it. This was a white Australian guy who was just running this page from Australia, getting donations um, you know, completely fraudulently. Now, 
any sort of, um, I guess, I don't know, basic investigation maybe mm. would probably turn up that, okay, this is an IP address in Australia, something possibly a bit fishy going on mm. here. Um, but, you know, this is this is what Facebook say, you know, open platform. We are we are we are the techno libertarian utopia. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're a, a, a Trump supporter or, you know, a, a, a Clinton supporter, whatever. Everybody's a, welcome. <laughs> yeah. Or a pinko liberal, as the conservatives might might say, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't matter. You are free to air your views and, you know. So ov- overall, you thought Mark Zuckerberg was a little wishy-washy. Uh, I think he was allowed to be wishy- wishy-washy. And, you know, when day two comes along, I mean, we, we've only just digested day one uh, mm. at time of recording. When day two comes along, maybe he'll face a, a, a tougher time. But um, day one was pretty much for show. I don't, um, I don't, yeah. Grand. Well, listen, we will keep an eye on it as always. Niall, thanks for uh, sitting through that very, very long session and keeping us up to date. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. In a world full of laptops, tablets and smartphones, some people wonder, is there any place left for a full-size PC? Personally, I love a full-size PC for working on, uh, but I often wonder, are they going to last? This week, Niall went to chat with Gary Tierney, who is the MD of HP Ireland, to get his take on where the PC is going. So, Gary, I guess the first thing we have to look at when we talk about HP is that it's a company that's undergone a little bit of a um, an identity transformation, I guess, in the last three years. Uh, I know Dell EMC had their big their big change, but uh, HP kind of got their first splitting off from the the enterprise and the consumer business. So, how has that change been uh, working out for you? I mean, as well as sort of a market shift, it has required something of a cultural shift inside the business as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So the the, the change in itself, and when we were getting self ready for separation, um, our CEO, Dion Wiesler, really tried to drive a, a mindset within the company of, as we prepare for separation, think of ourselves as a startup. So that kind of agile uh, heart of, a, of a, a, an innovative type startup company blended with the muscle of a Fortune 100 company. Because um, we're still going to be a fifty-plus billion-dollar entity with you know thirty, forty thousand employees, um, market leaders, pretty much in all of the chosen markets that we play in. So, you know, we didn't want to jettison the history, the legacy, um, but at the same time, we wanted to embrace a whole new culture and identity. Um, and uh, I guess the way we approached that was really trying to drive the innovation cycles and really reencapture that kind of methodology of reinvent everything reinvent marketing, reinvent uh, categories we play in, uh, vision the future, uh, and then look to extend this strategy that we use of the kind of three waves of kind of core growth and uh, future, and really set everything up with that mindset of innovation first, um, heart of a, a startup, but actually the muscle of a Fortune 100. And in doing so, that balance sheet that we have and the, the, the strength of that balance sheet allowed us to do lots and lots of different things. Um, that mindset of a startup meant that we really, really started in, into hyper-segmentation, looking for where's the growth opportunities. If we had to invest in certain segments, uh, I don't want to call it following a dragon's den type investment 
approach but really rigorously looking at it uh, at where the opportunities were and that's when we decided to do a number of things within our core growth and future strategy um, focused on things like 3D for the future focused on the immersive computing or kind of augmented reality and how that plays out from a computing perspective, 3D from a print. Uh, We looked at within our portfolio, what assets did we have and where did we have some gaps that we needed to fulfill? That was where we came up with the Samsung acquisition with the A3 portfolio to fill a specific gap we had that addressed it at a kind of $55 billion TAM. Uh, And then within the PC business overall, we started to really get into the the detail of that sub-segmentation, looking at where the growth was, what premium looked like, what were the needs of those millennials, uh, digital natives that, you know, want cool, want aesthetics, want that kind of sexy machined alloy type finish but didn't want to forsake security and portability. So really blending all of those pieces together, that consumerization blending with commercial, we started to get really specific on how we're going to segment markets like Omen for gaming, like the premium platforms we've brought through, like the hybrid platforms we're now doing. So no longer just the kind of clamshell notebook, three-in-ones, two-in-ones, all-in-one, so lots and lots of different variations, but really looking at where growth opportunities were and where markets were getting hot, and doing so really what set us up. I think what's quite interesting when you mention hyper-segmentation there is that when you're applying that startup idea, you're basically looking to take a hit in the short term to see how things play out. So you, you might go, okay, augmented reality, it's coming, but this year it's not going to be fantastic for us, but you have to take the long view. That's not necessarily how it's played out with, uh, with the devices business. I, I think it's fair to say it's probably overperformed a little bit. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's, it's certainly ahead of the market, which is always where you're looking for, right? Markets may be headwinds, may be tailwinds. They might be growing, might be kind of, kind of getting smaller. But if you're really, really, the success is in, are you taking share? And absolutely, since we've, we've, we've kind of, for a number of quarters now, we've been really actively taking share. So it tells us strategy is working. Um, customers are voting with their, their wallets to buy our products. And that's a good thing. Um, I think, though, you don't always get it right. So there's certain segments and certain products we will try, and it doesn't work. And I think that's also about the, the mindset of a startup to recognize when it's not working and when it's time to pack in and, and drift away. So on a regular basis, we're looking at performance and whether or not we've got it right. Is it above expectation? Is it below expectation? Can we get it above expectation or is it time? So we're always looking at those transition cycles. And, and the one thing about the PC business as a whole or personal systems, if you like, is that the rapid change of life cycle um, means that you get regular points at which you get to review whether you stay with this or whether you, re- you move on. No, it's not a three-year type piece. You pretty much have to make decisions every three, six months in terms of waves of new product and new innovations you bring to market. I think one of the interesting things about the PC space is that for so long, Microsoft and Windows drew people's upgrades. You know, people went from 3.1 to 95 because they had to. They went to Windows 7 because they had to. That sort of cycle is broken now. It hasn't happened with Windows 8. It hasn't happened with Windows 10. So what sort of driving factors are you looking for now as a PC company? Have you gone, okay, the operating system is now pretty much irrelevant. We have to look at something else. Yeah, that upgrade cycle... Uh, that was driven off the back of the whether it was a the, the processor revisions within Intel or whether it was the OS revisions with Microsoft. Um, 
I think what we've looked at is we need to give customers compelling reasons yeah, to refresh and invest in new technology. Um, I think at the same time, we've got to look at what are the trends coming down the track um, and then make sure we're set up for that. So one of those uh, examples would be we really believe that in the future, a lot of things will be as a service. Um, so the traditional mode of buying a PC um, will likely change. Uh, Certainly it will start, we think, in the commercial world um, to device or even if you bring print into the equation, probably what they call workplace as a service. Uh, So rather than owning assets, using those assets and paying for the use of those assets for a period of time. Uh, So that's one we're we're, we're grappling with and looking at um, and then how we bring that to market on a consumer basis. And you see it today in in mobile phones. People sign up with a, a telecoms provider for a package with a phone and pay a monthly fee. Um, by the end of the process, you own the phone. Um, but we're looking at, well, how is that going to change? Do we have opportunities to be innovative in that business model? Um, so innovation doesn't just extend to platform or the device itself. It actually extends to the business model. It looks at the supply chain, um, and it looks at the routes to market because we're also starting to see, obviously, a huge shift in terms of uh, retail to what we kind of call omni-channel, but you know, effectively bricks and mortar facing off against purebred onliners. And there's a lot of shift going on. So we're looking at business models. We're looking at routes to market. We're looking at form factor and us trying to give customers the real reasons to upgrade and, and trade in based on values that they'll pay for. And that's why premium is a key segment. I think you, you've raised a very interesting point there about sort of getting people in and generating that sort of brand loyalty that when it comes to upgrading, people won't think about alternative brands. They'll just go, I'm a, I'm a HP guy in the same way that people go, I'm a Lenovo guy or an, I'm, a, I'm an Apple guy or, or a Samsung guy. Uh, a lot of that is tied in with the services people get. Um, for example, you know, adding three months free of Netflix with your, with your mobile phone. You know, they, these are the simple things that get in. So when you're looking at offering things as a service, are you looking at going, okay, we'll say unlimited cloud storage because you know, Google and, and Dropbox and all that have quite, I don't want to say limited, but they have a defined offering at the moment. So is this a sort of service that we might see coming down the track? Yeah, well, not coming down the track, here available today. I'll give you an example. Um, we've talked about before Instant Inc., yeah. Uh, we took a traditional business model, which was you buy an inkjet printer, you print your pages, and you go and buy a, a, an ink cartridge later in a, in a store to replace it and do more printing. Um, now, when we looked at that and looked at the, the customer experience, um, typically the time you run out of ink is when you most probably need it because it's not something that you're regularly monitoring and stuff like that. Um, uh, and therefore... You need to, again, get in a car, head somewhere, or actually jump online, order it, and wait for it to arrive the next day. It's not a great, the greatest of experiences, um, because you probably wanted something there and then, and it can be a frustration. So we looked at, how do we deal with that, and how do we bring kind of as a service to that space? And that's where we came up with Instant Ink, which is really aimed at twofold. One, how do we deliver better value for the customer in terms of cost? Uh, and it's, you know, you're talking 50 70% cost reduction in the business model, which is kind of on its own, Really nice. But we then looked at the value prop for the customer around uh, how do we get convenience into the equation? So we looked at a way that with Instant Ink, that device is connected and we're monitoring the pages you're printing and we know when that cartridge is low and shipping you out a new one or a new set of cartridges before you ever run out of ink. So you're always, always available. 
That innovative business model came to market. And then we added things to it. You know, we gave people options to try it for three months uh, for free. A lot of people have signed up to the program. Um, and retention rates are in the high 90s. So people who sign in love the program. Delivers on convenience, value for money, and they can pick the plan for them. And they can opt out at any stage. It's not like you sign up on day one and you're fixed for three years or something. You can decide it's not for you, cancel the contract, you're no longer involved. All very simple, all online, you're in control, your account, you have full access and full visibility of what you're doing. That is an innovative way to looking at disrupting your own business model in as, as a service while delivering some Netflix-type subscription model to something that would never have been thought of before in the print business. So, again, looking at something else that you've had to embrace, um, and it's something, again, I don't want to keep bringing up Apple, but they, they really have been the template when it has come to reinventing consumer businesses uh, when, when it comes to the PC market. But um, to what extent has the role of design come in in, in, in attracting these new micro-segmented markets? Hugely so, hugely so. Um, I think I mentioned earlier you know, the use of alloys uh, and the use of different um, metals within it. Um, actually introducing things like rose gold um, to target the, a demographic in terms of female, uh, who again are huge users in this environment. Um, we've kind of looked at all of that design factor from both that, that piece of the uh, materials we use. Uh, we then look at the design factor in terms of the colour that we've bring to market. So there was a time when the laptop was a black product. It didn't matter where. Yeah, colours have been brought into the equation to really, really kind of bring kind of attractiveness, lightness, and again personalisation. So more and more and more, we continue to look at how do you refine, how do you get really specific in it, even down to things like hinges. So when you buy a premium product, when you open it. And when you cl- you want it to feel, it's a bit like you know the old clunk on the on the car. You know when you've closed the door on a Mercedes or a BMW or a Volvo or something, it feels like it's a solid thing. Again, the aesthetics of even how hinges operate, how we redesigned the hinge to give a 360 uh, experience, but at the same time that hinge has to feel like it's a quality, it's a premium experience, every part of it. You know, so it's all of those aspects working together, including that brushed aluminium and the single mold. It's kind of important you get everything together. So when you're putting so much effort into sort of uh, delivering that premium laptop experience, mm-hmm. it makes you wonder what the what the future is for the regular desktop computer, uh, which still has a, a place with enthusiasts and, and gamers and this sort of thing. But where do you see that device going in the market? Are we going? Is the laptop going to be dominant and the desktop reduced almost to, to that enthusiast market? Um, I think we go back to uh, we're trying to reinvent the whole category Um, uh, one of those areas that we're kind of reinventing is the workstation Um, now that performance level that you need as you mentioned for gaming with an Omen type product you know that performance is also in the sphere for you know um, the likes of augmented reality um, the processing power and speed you need in those arenas, again, there. But we're trying to bring mobility to that, in which w- where we brought the VR backpack. You know, so taking that workstation-type performance I- into a portable environment that links itself with AR and VR. Um, so we're trying to redesign and reinvent multiple different categories within the desktop. So you know, 
the, the tower, the mini towers, even down to a slice type product. We're even looking at really, really doing, you know, very, very miniature size desktop so that you end up with it's just a screen and a, uh, a keyboard for multi-use in different environments. So use cases vary across the piece. But for sure, the big shift has been mobile. Desktop is kind of a category that will continue to kind of find its way, but challenged in terms of, you know, is it going to be a huge hyper-growth segment? No. But going back within it, there are pockets that are really, really positive, and that's where we're spending our time and effort and money to, to innovate. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Gary Tierney, the MD of HP Ireland. That's almost it for our show this week. The programme is supported by irishjobs.ie. For the latest jobs from IT recruiters, visit techcentral.ie forward slash jobs. That address again, techcentral.ie forward slash jobs, powered by our friends at irishjobs.ie. Niall Kitson is still with me. Just before we go, uh, what's our one more thing for this week? Yeah, a nice little feel-good story for us this week. Um, the uh, Vex Robotics competition took place um, in Cork earlier this week and the results are out. So go see who won. Ah, excellent. I like that competition, actually. It's a great little idea with uh, primary schools. All the details on that story and, of course, all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more on our website at techcentral.ie. Or, of course, you can listen to our little podcast every week online or Fridays it's broadcast at 5pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. So next week, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Nile Kitson, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.